everyone. I'm Betsy. And I'm Greg. And we want to invite you to check out our podcast, Going On 30. Each month, Betsy and I take a look back at a movie that was released 30 years ago that was either nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture. We talk about the legacy of the film, choose the best scenes and performances, and explore our own hot takes about the movie. And we discuss the greatness of Tom Cruise, an actor oh, who has graced our screens for multiple decades, taking on some of the most artistically challenging pursuits while displaying what can only be described as an everyman relatability. An actor, nay, a thespian, who pushes oh. the boundaries of what the medium is capable of while revealing the humanity that's underlying. All right, all I'm of- done. I cannot, I cannot tolerate this anymore. So listen to Going on 30 every month right here on the Popping Collar Speed, wherever you get your podcast. I love you, Tom. Oh, jeez. Hi, I'm Greg Knight. Hey, I'm Ryan Parker. And this is PCTV, a popping collar side project where we randomly select a current TV show that you should be streaming right now. Ryan and I have each picked six shows apiece from the top streaming apps. And this month, we're talking about the Disney Plus series, Echo. Maya. I see everything that you are. I always have. You know, I, I wrote this paragraph uh, to start off our show like a long time ago. It just occurred to me that Disney Plus may not be one of the top six streaming apps anymore. I'm not sure. <laughs> this point, <laughs> it, it feels like they're the they're like the NBA Western Conference. It's just always shifting. Yeah, they're the Minnesota like, Timberwolves. They're not the Minnesota like, Timberwolves this year. They're like three through six is just in constant flux. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know what this this show is making me realize that there just aren't any rules anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, no, nothing has to be a certain way. You don't need six episodes. Let's just do five. Right. Yeah. They don't yeah. have to be forty-two minutes. They can. One can be thirty-six. Yeah. Another can be fifty. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, when it comes to Emmys and stuff, it was always like dramas are an hour, comedies are 30 minutes. And that's just none of that is true anymore. You know, we can come back to that in industry corner. I'm jumping. Yeah. <laughs> A brief description of this show. Would you like to hear? It? I would love it. <laughs> Maya Lopez must face her past, reconnect with her Native American roots and embrace the meaning of family and community if she ever hopes to move forward. Yeah, I think they're I think even Disney Plus uh uh description writers are tired of they have superhero fatigue. That's right. That's right. Uh Ryan, why did you pick uh Echo as our show? Did I pick this? You did. God, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> no, I picked it because it was new. And Kurt, mm-hmm. we had watched the we had watched a few shows that had kind of been a few they were kind of a few years old yeah 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 um and that's fine too but uh this was new i had seen some folks talking about it online you know on twitter or whatever mm-hmm. and so i was like well let's just give this a shot uh, yeah female lead native american context a lot of um a lot of reservation then, dogs crossover uh you know a show that we loved as far as the actors. Yeah. yeah yeah so i i think that's that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's your take on the show? That's that's my why. I have uh, yeah. now I have take well, but what's your take? Yeah, I feel like I feel like we can probably get through this show discussion pretty quickly because I don't I really don't it's not even that I have a negative take on the show or a positive take. I just don't really have a whole lot of a take at all on the show. It was fine, I guess. Is, is, is the word that I would give it? I think that there's probably a really good show, like buried in the midst of a lot of what feels like corporate, like you know, influence. Like, there's no reason for Daredevil to show up in this show at all, except that Disney's like, oh my god, we need Daredevil in this. You know, it's like, come on, get out of here. Is I, I think that there's probably like a really good short. You know, if they went the way of like Werewolf by Night, which they did last year, which I thought was really good with with Garcia Bernal, you know, um, so Gael Garcia Bernal. Um, but uh, yeah, it just kind of it's just kind of there, you know, it's it it's fine. But um, it didn't really nothing really stood out to me over the course of the show. I agree with you. And there's nothing negative, but there's nothing overwhelming. Uh, you know, I felt like good performances. Yeah. Well produced. Um, a couple of set pieces. I'll come to this in a second that I think re- work really well. Um, always like a character with a different ability. So her, uh, you know, her being deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and and signing. I think I think signing is a beautiful language, and um, and also I'm sensitive to. My wife has hearing issues, so always sensitive to portrayal of characters like that, and. But yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, the Daredevil thing is obviously a nod to Kingpin's eventual run for mayor. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it does kind of set a timeline for people who really pay attention to that stuff. I kind of take it or leave it. But I agree with you. There's there's something here. And I think that something would have been better served in a 90 minute movie. 
quite frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and think have, right. be, have, have Daredevil be kind of the B superhero in that in that context because you kind of have everything that Marvel movies have, right? And you're you're only tipping it. You could have easily cut, I know you could for sure, easily cut an hour out of what we saw and yeah. have a perfect fine two and a half to three hour superhero film. But because it has the origin story of the people, right? Which I thought was was quite well done. The the Choctaw Nation, their mm-hmm. the origin story there. And it kind of similar a little bit to uh, the opening of Black Panther, right? Yeah. Um, just maybe a little, obviously less animation going on there, but. You represent your people. That means a Chakta Tushka. Generations are echoing. Reaching out to us. I, I thought it could have been a, a, not even just perfectly fine. It could have been a good film. Uh, yeah. So I don't know that I don't know why you need the series. So again, that it's not. I don't really have any negative reaction to it. I was like, okay, that's you know three and a half, four hours of my life. You know, um, but I, there's not a lot that I pulled out of. I mean. Well, let's come back. We'll come back to theology corner in a second. Yeah. Um, so, how about your best scene sequence episode or storyline? Well, it's gonna be tough because there's not. It's kind of thin. No, you you touched on you touched on what the story is for me. So, I I was actually as you were talking, I was looking up on IMDb who who was the showrunner for this show. It looks like uh, Marion. Dare? Dyer? Dare? I don't know how to say her name, but she seems to be the head writer. And then the series is directed by, has two directors, Sydney Freeland and Catriona McKenzie. Um, okay. So I'm not sure who the showrunner is of this. I'm I'm guessing that it's the the head writer of the series is who mm-hmm. probably had the vision for this. You know, it strikes me that episode four probably gets the closest to what she probably had in mind, which is exactly what you were talking about. It's this idea of ancestry, legacy, and parentage. And like, yes. who 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 are you and how are you made up of the people that came before you? So yes. the way that this show like um comes to the conclusion that you know Maya is an echo hence her name right of her ancestors but she's also an echo of the kingpin who raised her right so she's this she's this warrior you know who has existed throughout the ages but she's also this um she's also influenced by this tyrant to your final lesson Final? Yes. Well, we'll still have our our Sunday evening dinners. But your tutelage has come to an end. You're ready. For what? To move from the theoretical to the practical. You and I, we are the only ones we can trust. That's your final lesson. 
you're dismissed. Um, and all of that kind of mixes into who she is. And that is an intriguing prospect for a story. The problem is that I don't think it's a sellable story. And so I can totally understand why Disney wanted to junk it up with a lot of stuff. But, um, but for me, yeah, it's that episode four is the one that kind of goes into that of like, who is she? Is she a product of the Choctaw Nation? Or is she a product of Kingpin? And the answer is yeah. both, right? Yeah. So. Can we? I want to come back to that too in theology corner, um, and I, I appreciate that because you're shedding light onto something that I hadn't quite thought about. Um, in that way, the best sequence or series, you know, uh, whatever um, episode. I, I just felt like anytime I, I think whoever was the coordinator for this or the choreographer, the fight choreographer for this was quite good. I thought there were some. You know, speaking of leaning into violence, I, you know, uh, I, I thought it was quite well done. The chore- the fight choreography, there was some um, kind of inventive fight sequences and moments within the larger dance, if you will. The skating rink, even episode one, when that guy went barreling through the door to tackle the guy, I thought that was kind of cool. So, yeah, which is unfortunate because there are there is opportunity for more depth, as you said. And when I watch it, I'm like, oh, well, that was more interesting, maybe visually. So, yeah, I didn't have a ton. I didn't have a ton of takeaway in that regard. And that first episode has, you know, that's probably that fight that you're talking about, the fight in the speakeasy or whatever it is that, you know. Daredevil shows up. Yeah, where Daredevil shows up. That's the one that harkens the most for me back to that Daredevil series from Netflix, you know. been watching them all night and then you guys show up and screw everything up you know the crowning achievement of that series was the hallway fight that Daredevil had in episode two or something like that. Um, old boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, th- it's, it's sort of that one take, you know, camera swirling around the room kind of yeah. um, choreography. And yeah, I'm with you that, that uh, ever since that, um, that first Daredevil fight, I've always been intrigued by that type of choreography. It feels a little John Wickish. I will say this about the action moving on from that, like the train sequence and some other sequences, I will be so glad when we're not shooting stuff on the volume anymore. It just looks so weird. Um, the backgrounds just always look so strange, uh, in, in these sort of, you know, action sequences where the, where the backgrounds projected. And so, yeah, anytime where it felt tangible and real, like the skating rink, like that first room, that was always better. I think. Uh, let's go favorite performance. I came for Zon McLaren. Uh, yeah. you know, because like when, when I, when he shows up in the first episode, I'm like, Oh, great. Um, because I know that he in, this is one of those weird things, right? Because echo was set up in the Hawkeye series. 
um, mm-hmm. that came out, what, a couple of years ago. And I know that Zon McLaren was in the Hawkeye series, and I know that he eventually got killed by spoilers, got killed by Hawkeye. So I was kind of hoping that a lot of our time would be spent um, maybe in the present day, but also flashing back to his relationship with Maya and what it was that she learned from her father before she became influenced by Kingpin. And so I became, a. it was disappointing for me to realize that Zon McLaren was not going to be on the show past episode one. Like, you know, he was just kind of going to be, he was going to kind of set everything up. And that was, uh, that was a little disappointing. So I came for him, uh, hoping that I would get more, but uh, I guess I stayed for, Maya for Alakwa Al- Alakwa Cox, uh, who plays Maya, she's really she's strong in a way that you um, in a way that you really articulated this idea of like um, playing um, a deaf character. She does this really good job of looking observant of everything that's around her the entire time, which I would expect someone who was like an echo. Right. Uh, you know, this superhuman superhero, but also deaf, you know, uh, Native American, yeah. I would expect them to be observant of the world around them. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, she's quite good. And I, it'll be interesting to see where her career goes after this and non echo career. Um, yeah. because she is, she has a, a great screen presence. So I, yeah, I don't know that I showed up for anybody, quite frankly, but I was, I was, she is a quite captivating actress. Um, but I also thought uh, Cousin Biscuits was quite fun. And I kind of wish I wish uh, there was a bit more of him, too. Got yep. Played by Cody Lightning. What a, also, by the way, great name. Yeah. Uh, so he's, you know, uh, I haven't seen a ton of I've seen Smoke Signals. If you haven't seen that from 98, you should check that out. That's a good film. So I, I would love to see him. And some more comedic roles like he was in. I thought he was quite good. What's your take on the D'Onofrio Kingpin? How do you feel about that? I like him. I yeah. don't Yeah. What who, do you not, or do you have another idea? Of I don't know. It's a, it's I mean, he's making so you know, D'Onofrio is kind of like a Nicolas Cage type actor. Like he makes choices, right? And um, and he has like a very unique affect in the in what he does with Kingpin. And I could see some people liking it, and I could see some people being turned off by it. So yeah, I I, I think you're exactly right. He's had an interesting career because wasn't it like in the early two thousands, like all oh, this guy's gonna pop, yeah. you know? And it just never felt like he became the star that like he could have been. Is that because I don't think he's a bad actor? I don't think he goes. He doesn't go like Nicholas Rage or anything like that. I mean, right. he's. I think he's a bit more measured in uh, by comparison, but yeah, I, I remember his earlier films just thinking, okay, this guy's going to like be a huge star, but that just never really happened. And maybe I was just wrong for even thinking that, but I mean, he was, he was an indie darling for a long time, but I mean, he would also show up in things, you know, he would show up in the background of like big budget movies. Like I remember he was in, he had like a very small part in JFK you know, um, he he would he would kind of like you would just see Vincent D'Onofrio, but I guess probably Men in Black was the first sort of big budget thing that you would have thought. Oh, okay, there's D'Onofrio showing up, 
And uh, and even there, he's doing something weird, you know? It, like, he always brings something, like, a little off <laughs> to the performance. Do you, remember, do you remember The Cell? Yes, I love The Cell. I'm he's a gone. Cell fan. And yeah. Carson Singh, is that what you're saying? <laughs> What's that guy done lately? <laughs> I thought that movie was gorgeous, man. It's it's so like oh, the I, colors I go, are I off the go, charts. I want to rewatch it. Yeah, I definitely. I want to check it out re- or revisit it. Yeah, and the fall, the cell, the fall. Yeah, he's kind of doing like a Brando in the cell. It feels like, <laughs> but yeah, you know. Yeah. When I was a boy, I had to choose a path, or fate would choose for me. I've hurt people, and I'm going to hurt more. I'm asking forgiveness for what I'm about to do. Savages. Gang wars. This city crumbles. Maya. We are the only ones we can trust. Betrayal, that's not something that I can forgive. Nothing about this brings me joy. You brought this on yourself. Okay, uh, this is where we go big ideas, and I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I think this is where most of our conversation is going to be, yeah. I want to kick this off. I want to steal your thunder and and kind of throw it back to you. So uh, Theology Corner, for me, I I was going to talk about the, the ancestors and how that theme felt tacked on to me. Yeah. And... Um, and that's a shame because I've, and, or maybe I'm not smart enough to, you know, see where it's at work. Um, but I thought, I thought it was so beautiful and important that I think more direct acknowledgement of it would have been appreciated. But I do like this tension, and I want to see if it, if it tracks for you when you talk about who is Maya going to be, or how is Echo going to manifest herself in the tradition of her people or kingpin. And man, you can really talk about the way that's manifesting itself in the church in America now where you have a, a history of pacifism, right. And nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And it is being totally, uh, in many places, it's being totally overtaken by this hyper or, uh, openness or comfort with violence in the kind of Christian nationalist movement. And the, you know, I look at people and I think and in communities and think you're choosing a path. And I think in doing so, you're turning your back on 2000 years of history. Um, but also, we have to reckon with the Crusades and all that thing. I know. But, yeah, yeah um, I was going to say there's a there's a violent. Uh, history there's there's always. But there's always been a threat. I mean, I look when I read when I read the life of Jesus, I don't see Kingpin. So. Right. But it's how it gets justified, right? So think think yeah. about think about what like, do you think about that? What do you think about that? St- like 
What's your take on that? No, I think that's totally right because I think you justify the worst influences as long as they keep you in positions of power. So think about the Christian right in America um, in our lifetimes, you, you know, you and I. Right. Back in the 80s, you know, you would have Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and people like that saying, well, we have to vote for Ronald Reagan because he's the moral choice, you know, in response to who it is that Democrats are running. And then, of course, like after the Clinton sex scandals and stuff like that, that became even more exacerbated, like that rhetoric became even even more heightened where it was like, no, the the office of the presidency requires like the utmost morality. Well, you have the most immoral candidate running for that party now. And it is, he is totally embraced by the Christian right, um, you know, in Donald Trump. And he's likely going to be a president again, right? On the backs of these people voting for him. There's no morality there. And he doesn't even pretend to be a moral person. And yet, um, you know, it's justified. The vote is justified because he's the person, one, in your party, but also the person that keeps you in power. And so, yeah, I think that I think that that's totally right. Like a kingpin makes total sense to me in that, you know, you can you can probably recognize that this is an abhorrent person. But if he's on your side, you embrace it as if it's Jesus himself, you know? Well, Kingpin Kingpin is a profoundly immoral person who is, as the series draws to a close, is going to go run for mayor of New York. Right. Right. Um, I, yeah, if there's a theology corner here, I think that's it. I mean, other than other than the the notion of the ancestors and, and to maybe speak briefly about the positive element of that and the way it manifests itself, even if it's, kind of surface level stuff in the series, but um, those moments where she has all of those women behind her. Yeah. Um, I thought that was, well, really there was only one moment where that happens in episode five. Right. Uh, that I thought was quite good, but uh, also maybe appreciate layering each episode with one different woman. Um, but again, I think all of that could have been done in, in tighter fashion in a, in a film. And I guess that kind of leads us a little bit to industry corner. Like, what do you make of what does this show say about the state of our entertainment industry? Well, this is honestly, this is where it is for me. Like the whole industry conversation is tied into the theology conversation, I feel like. And that's the the death of empire. Right. I mean, which is what we're seeing with sort of the Marvel system. And some of it is their fault. Like some of it is because they just don't understand like what their product is or how to sell it. Ultimately, like ultimately, here's the thing about Marvel and Marvel properties. The reason that things are chosen to be made is because they want to sell you toys, right? Like um, there's a there's a new book. Yeah, about but I'm not buying an Echo toy. 
Well, that's the thing, right? That's why that's why you're not going to see Echoes anymore. That's why Echo got dumped on Disney Plus because they don't care if you watch it or not, right? Um, in the middle of February, all episodes coming out at the same time. They're they're just trying to get rid of this thing. The what they want you to watch and what they want you to buy are yeah the boy movies, right? It, it, uh, there's a book that came out recently about the Marvel universe that that Joanna Robinson uh, wrote. Uh, where she talked to like some of the executives, you know, that worked for Marvel during this sort of run that they had from 2008 uh, up until, I don't know, like, uh, you know, right around the pandemic starting and stuff like that. And um, and uh, the way that they described it was that they were given the charge from Disney to push plastic, right? Push plastic was the was the charge that they were given, which is this idea of whatever it is that you make, make sure that there's toys, make sure that there's multiple costumes for these people to wear so that we can sell more toys so that we can sell more Iron Man um, items and stuff like that. And um, it's, I mean, that's what's at the heart of it. The story comes second. And I feel like over the course of the spiral, that Marvel has been having and Disney has been having. The issue is that they don't understand what their stories are. They just don't know what it is that they're trying to say is what it feels like to me. I, I think what you say makes a lot of sense. And I'm looking up, you just showed um, when you mentioned the book, I'm probably going to order this. I read a lot of comics and I know you have too. Mm -hmm. That early reign, if you will, in the early two thousands felt like whoever was at the wheel understood why we like those comics there may have been push plastic sure right. and there's a there's a historian a film historian who writes about blockbusters and talks about fandom and he you know he said what what a lot of the critics of star wars and kind of commercialization and merchandising don't get is we would have made those toys ourselves if we had to because yeah. the stories were so the universes were so inviting right yeah um and I think there's something to that here in the MCU, but it just feels like whoever is at the wheel now doesn't get it. And I don't think it's because we're tired of superheroes. I just don't think the stories are, are being told the way they should be. I think I think there's multiple things happening here. Some of them are Marvel's fault and some of them aren't. Right. And one of the things I think you're going to be able to speak to that I'm going to bring up. So the first thing is that they fell into a formula for making these movies that I think worked for a little while. But after you've seen the magic trick like 10, 12 times, like it's it starts to feel a little less magical. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's a storytelling. That's a that's a corporate issue a little bit. Um, it's a showrunner producer issue. Um, but the second thing that I think happened to Marvel is that they hit a series of bad luck. One of those things was the pandemic shutting down their sort of movie. They were pumping out movies, you know, like two, three movies a year, and they shut down for a full year. Um, and even when they came back, they weren't back at full capacity and they were releasing stuff out of order based on how COVID was affecting production. And so I think mm. that that affected their overall storytelling. I think the rise of Disney Plus and the mandate from Disney to put more Marvel stuff onto their service, I think that that diluted the product a little bit. And then finally, and the thing that I think that you're going to be able to speak to, 
they hit an issue with some of their actors, and I'm thinking specifically of their main actor, Jonathan Majors, playing Kang, where all of a sudden plans that they had for a large overarching story had to be scrapped. And that is an unfortunate part of this business. One of the things that I was thinking of recently was um, Magazine Dreams coming out, you know, that was going to be a big movie uh, for that, you know, for that up and coming director um, that was putting that together. And now it is donezo and is not his fault i saw it i saw it yeah yeah and it's not his fault and it's not marvel's fault but it happened you know and it's just like that's the that's the one of those things you can't my thing with king is just recast him who cares everybody knows all this stuff is you know everybody we we live in this state of knowing i read a book and you this is going to get off topic i mean we could do we could really do a whole podcast on this book and we probably should called there's a book called monsters mm-hmm. and it's by claire Dieter, and it's basically the the central question is what do we do with art made by monstrous men right and uh it, it is mostly men let's just be honest and uh you know she talks a lot about her favorite filmmakers roman polanski right mm-hmm. and she's like what do i do about that so it has these, and, and there's no, and she's not giving an easy answer. It's all about, um, she's talking about criticism and ethics and uh, capitalism and, and all these kinds of things. And, you know, the fact that we live in this state of knowingness, that we just know things about people that we wouldn't have known 10 years ago. Right. Um, and can we, you know, you question, separate the art from the artist and it does what, does my rental of magazine dreams benefit Jonathan majors or does it benefit the director and the, you know, 200 other people that worked on the film? It's uh it's a sticky question and, and it's a personal, it's going to be deeply personal for everybody. Yeah. But you know, there's after reading her book, there's a part of me that's like release magazine dreams and theaters widely. Like it's a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it need, the director needs to pick an ending. There's three endings as a, as a, at least the version I saw at uh, Sundance. But yeah, just I mean, in terms of the MCU and the, these issues with cast, just recast it. Tell the tell that overarching. That's why uh, Avengers works so well. Like I know they didn't like not everybody that stars in that film is a saint, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we knew their personal lives, so they stuck with the story and they told it. Now, yeah, COVID's a was a you know pain in the ass on production, but tell your story. Part of you know what the what the MCU did, which I think can't be understated, because this is a phenomenal achievement on their part. They taught mainstream movie audiences something that comic book readers had known about for years, which is uh continuity. They taught people how to understand continuity and how things flow from one thing to another. You know, when um, when when I was coming up, when I was a kid, comics were always, you know, they, they were numbered, but they were always very large numbers, you know? So, like, when I started reading Spider-Man in the 80s or something, he was already in, like, the 200 issues, you know, something like that. So there was never this idea when I came into the mix, there was never this idea of, 
oh, we need to restart so that Greg understands where we're coming from, right? It's like, no, Greg needs to catch up. And if if he hasn't been reading since the 60s, oh, well. Like, he needs to learn what the continuity is. And that's kind of what the MCU trained people to do um, at the movies, which is no small feat. But once that continuity starts to be messed with a little bit, and now it becomes like, you're telling like a large multiversal story, but you don't know what the inciting incident was. Was it what Loki did? Was it what Spider-Man did? Was it what Dr. Strange did? We have no idea. You know, that's where things that's where that's where you're going to start to lose people. Right. Where they're like, wait, I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be watching. Am I yeah. supposed to watch Echo? You know, like that's that's the problem uh, with the yeah. with the with what it is that you're producing. Anything else about Echo? Yeah, I would just say um, there's a little bit of the theology of something. Yeah, there's a little bit of theology something that I just want to give voice to, and I don't quite know how to articulate it, except to say that I was. I was disappointed when Maya started to exhibit supernatural abilities, like magical abilities. I understand that she draws power from her ancestors. Like, I love that whole bit. Like, I love the idea that, like, she is inspired and is an echo of what has gone before her. But there was something that felt like uh, you know what? She's not quite enough as like this badass, you know, uh, deaf fighting warrior. Uh, we need to give her some kind of like stuff that she can shoot out of her hands. And it's like, come on, man. Like that felt like a bummer to me. It felt like um, it felt like a like it was leaning back on a trope. And especially when it came to a minority character, I found it particularly I found it a little offensive that like Maya's not enough on her own. She needs to have some kind of special force that she can shoot at people. And I'm just like, come on, really? Yeah. Yeah. That also felt tacked on. Yeah. You know, Daredevil's not like tapping into some magical force. Does he have heightened senses? Absolutely. But I kind of wanted Echo. I kind of wanted Maya to sort of have that kind of lean into that kind of power set. But one of these days, you and I will be running Disney or Marvel, and we'll get it no, all they, ironed they out. We can have that. <laughs> we'll get it all ironed let's, out. Right? Let's, spin the, let's spin the wheel of death and get out of here. Let's see what we got. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno Curl Cabinet. Okay, Ryan, you're going to be excited. This is a show that we've already seen, and this is one of my picks. So it is my Hulu pick for this year, and I ha- we're going back to superheroes, kind of. I've chosen Legion as our Hulu series to talk about. Okay, we're going in the Wayback Machine. Yeah, so this is going to be an oldie. Uh, Legion showed up on FX way back in the day. All right, so Legion is going to be our next uh, topic. It is a, yes, it is a superhero show, but it's nothing like 
what you have come to expect from a superhero show. I just wouldn't even call it a superhero show, yeah, by the way. You can divorce it from your mind. It's more like um it's more like the uh the spiritual successor to Twin Peaks is what I would call it. And it stars Rachel Keller, who I think is fantastic. Uh and she is currently in Tokyo Vice, which I am or is in Tokyo Vice, which I'm currently watching on HBO. And I can recommend that to people who are looking for good detective crime. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, Legion will be our next episode. Ryan, thank you for talking echo with me. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so when are you starting your, uh, run for New York mayor? Are you going to be running against Uh, Kingpin or that's, I'm actually going to run for mayor of Jackson. (laughs) There you go. It's going to be, it's a more vital and difficult job. <laughs> Believe right. it or not. I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait yeah. to put one of your uh, yard signs in my front yard. That'll be great. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. All right.